I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s, dance away with hip-hop beats, and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hi, this is Newt. Because of the coronavirus, I am currently staying at home in Rome, where my wife serves as the United States Ambassador to the Holy See. She's leading the embassy in dealing with all the different changes being brought about by the pandemic. To bring you this episode this week, I'm recording from my home, so you may notice a difference in audio quality. On this episode of Newt's World, the financial recovery of America amid the coronavirus pandemic is such a uniquely challenging issue. I am devoting the next two episodes of this podcast to providing context and understanding about what every American needs to know about restarting the economy and what needs to happen next. On Friday, March 27th, the United States Senate passed the $2.2 trillion Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, or the CARES Act, and President Trump signed it into law. The CARES Act provides financial assistance and relief to small businesses in the form of Small Business Administration forgivable loans to individuals and families and to some of the industries that have been affected by the nationwide spread of the virus, like airlines and hotels. As the unemployment numbers soar to almost 10 million, are we headed for a recession or the next Great Depression? Or is this simply a V-shaped recession, which we will pull ourselves out of as soon as we overcome the health crisis we are facing? And what can we learn from the countries who are already on the road to recovery, both from the virus and with their economies? In part one, I'll talk with James Grant, author of The Forgotten Depression, 1921, The Crash That Cured Itself, and Dr. Arthur Laffer, president of Laffer Associates, and a longtime economic advisor 
to presidential administrations since the early 1970s, will give us his point of view of how to best deal with the current economic crisis. In part two, I will be joined by Ms. Yuki Tatsumi, Senior Fellow and Co-Director of the East Asia Program and Director of the Japan Program at the Stimson Center. We'll discuss the lessons we can learn from Japan, South Korea, Singapore, Hong Kong, and Taiwan, and their economic recovery post-coronavirus. James Grant is the author of The Forgotten Depression, 1921, The Crash That Cured Itself. I'm pleased to welcome him as my guest. I'm fascinated both by your book and then the way you frame the book. What led you to write about the Depression of 1920-21? I took up this topic in the wake of our so-called Great Recession of 2007. And during our own slump, the talk of historical precedence was exclusively about the Depression in the 1930s. And Ben Bernanke, the Fed chairman, was especially keen on drawing that analogy. It seemed to me that people were missing an example of a deep recession, indeed a depression, that was short-lived and that perhaps was short-lived on account of what the government did not do instead of what the government did. And that's what led me to the topic. The whole cycle of panics tended to be very fast. They were very brutal, but they were much quicker to get over as a general rule than the Great Depression was. Had you just run across the 1920-21 depression as part of your, your studies or as part of your work on looking at interest rates? To tell you the truth, I can't recall how it came to my attention, but what I did note was the speed and the ferocity of the event in contrast to the long experience that we have subsequently suffered, not least in the aftermath of 2008 and nine. Those 10 years were years of uh, statistical prosperity, but deeply lack of the characteristic American dynamism that we all cherish. And I put this down in some part, perhaps in large part, to the government's well-intended but ineffective efforts to medicate us out of the slump that we all re recall now all too vividly. Obviously, for phase one, they just have to get through fighting the virus. Most Americans are not prepared to make a trade increased risk from the virus in order to get the economy moving sooner. But there will be a morning, I suspect, by June, when we will have defeated the virus. And at that point, people are suddenly going to realize that there are a heck of a lot of people unemployed. The challenge Trump now has is he's going to go from commander-in-chief of public health to the commander-in-chief of the economy, and he can hardly run for re-election as a jobs president if there are no jobs. He has a big challenge, I think, to shift gears and try to figure out how to make this a V-shaped experience. Given what you learned as you went through studying the 1920-21 experience, what advice would you give him? To do exactly 180 degrees what they are now not doing. The speed with which the government has affected a virtual leveraged acquisition of the American economy is remarkable. The Federal Reserve has come to utterly dominate American finance in ways it never had before. In fact, in ways that almost no one had imagined it could do before. 
it has moved to intervene in markets for commercial paper, for money market mutual funds, for high-grade bonds, for municipal securities, of course, for treasury securities, commercial real estate-backed mortgage securities. The Fed has expanded its balance sheet by half a trillion dollars, I think, in the past week. It's just stunning. So the Fed is going to more or less get into the commercial lending business as well. In the past 10 years, we had worked to mend and fortify our financial system. Under the government-ordered cessation of commerce, the financial system suddenly became dysfunctional in the face of the arrival of the virus. What preceded it was a decade of heavy lending and borrowing, especially in American business. The ratio of corporate debt to GDP is at a high There's been a great expansion of credit in business of taking public companies private. It's called private equity. This debt has weakened the corporate immune system so that when trouble did strike, companies are much less able to respond to it in constructive ways. We arrived at this state of affairs in a much weakened position. I say it was the direct result of Federal Reserve policy to suppress interest rates and as a matter of public policy to raise up the prices of common stocks and fill everyone's 401k. That was the plan starting in 2010. So all this was exactly what did not occur during the laissez-faire portion of the late teens and early 20s under the Harding administration. So you ask, how do we get a V-shaped recovery? Well, I'm not sure that the administration is proceeding along those lines. Would you pull back the Fed in that sense? I think it's too late for this. We live in a time of de facto modern monetary theory, MMT. There's a fellow named Abba Lerner, an economist, very clever and very lucid economist who wrote in the 1940s and 50s. And what Abba Lerner said was that the government ought to print money and to spend that money and to run deficits without a thought of so-called sound finance until... There was an inflation problem. And this has, in fact, become the de facto policy of the Republican Party and certainly of the president who says, so let us have zero interest rates. Let us be as aggressive as the Europeans have been. In fact, we need negative interest rates. So the policy from on high has been to borrow and lend and spend without let or hindrance because, says the president, there is no inflation. Well, of course, there's inflation. It takes different forms. There's inflation of financial assets, which assets are now being deflated. If this sounds unconstructive, it is because I think that we're on the wrong track, and I think that uh, it's going to take a while to get on the right track. We seem to have had an ability to float an astonishing amount of debt, which I would have thought would have led to dramatically higher interest rates. And yet, people seem to keep buying our paper. Does that surprise you? When the Fed is in there buying a half a trillion dollars a week, that tends to support the market. But beyond that, there is still an abiding faith in the institution of the Federal Reserve and in the institution of our paper or digital currency. I don't share that faith, but that's not the relevant point. The world does. Consider that the government is borrowing for 10 years at something like six-tenths of 1% when the rate of inflation is running, 
well, whatever it's going to run next month, we don't know, but it has been running at about 2% for a long time. That's as we measure it. And the financial markets, in perhaps their wisdom, are projecting no inflation over the next 10 years and beyond, notwithstanding a $2 trillion plus fiscal program with talk of another $2 trillion to come, and with unprecedented and seemingly incredible central bank interventions, which interventions take the form of the simple printing of money. This would seem to be a formula for utter mass debasement of the purchasing power, especially when the apparatus of globalization is now under great suspicion. I mean, do we have the same cheap labor overseas that we used to have given the proclivity of the Chinese communist government to say, no, you shall not export whatever you are exporting from our country? It seems to me that the pillars of disinflation of the prior 10, 15, 20 years are being torn down just as the government is undertaking this vast expansion of new purchasing power. So there is much less supply, and thanks to these infusions of dollar bills, prospectively, much greater demand. That would seem to be a formula for more inflation, not less, and yet governments worldwide are floating stupendous quantities of debt at negligible interest rates. It is a moment of marvel. From the standpoint of economic history, I find it very hard to understand the formula by which we're currently operating, not just the U.S., but the whole planet, in a sense. This should be leading to very substantial inflation, I would think. Well, it might. So the question that people might wonder about the relevance of the Depression of 1920-21 to the present day was so long ago, you know, how possibly could this matter? Well, that Depression, 18 months between the times that things began to get bad and the time that things began to get better, the success of that was owing to the free play of the price mechanism. So there was a huge decline in prices. Commodity prices were down 40%, the stock market down almost 50%. Wages plummeted, and all these things happened without interference. But because things began to get cheaper, because wages and prices fell together, companies could reorganize their production at lower levels, both of prices and costs, and generate a new start at a profit. And what happens when prices fall, but wages do not fall, is what happened in the 30s, which is profit margins collapse and mass unemployment ensues. So the early 20s, to me, were a textbook example of the wondrous success of the unmanaged interplay of individuals doing business in a free market. You know, everyone going out and, and doing what he or she does for a living and the government saying, you do that and we will find that the interplay of supply and demand is going to get us where we want to go. But what we see today is something rather the opposite. There's a name for this now, of course, that's the zombie company. And these ultra low interest rates and very easy money have sustained corporations that might otherwise have had to meet their maker. The very low cost of capital is a source of distortions. And one of those distortions is uh, that companies that ought to make way for new people and new ideas, those companies remain in place. And it introduces an element of molasses 
into our formerly fast-flowing economic life. Isn't this, in a sense, an anti-saving environment? Interest rates are supposed to be the reward for savings over impulsive consumption. There's a moral element, and a very strong moral element, I say, in the destruction of our conventional financial norms and mores. So what this easy and cheap credit has done is to drive people into, of course, speculative investments. And in the past 10 days or so in this country, they have brought the virtual absorption of the American financial sector by the Federal Reserve. In that sense, we may be in more of a new world than we realize. It's going to take people a while to absorb the moment and the significance of this. When you're dealing with a $2 trillion, $200 billion package, isn't it going to take us a while just to sort it out? Yes. These numbers sound big, and they are big, but they are much smaller than the amount of money that people were getting by going to work in the morning. <laughs> and I think one of the critical agenda items for the Republican Party must be the way out of the de facto nationalization of finance that we have entered. Yeah, I think a lot of people are trying to understand what happened. I mean, all, all this stuff gets written, much of it without any public hearings, without any public involvement. And then you suddenly look up and here's this massive flood. Way back in 1919, Woodrow Wilson said, you know, we're going to have to have socialism. It's just a fact. And within a year and a half or so, there was Warren G. Harding rolling it all back and implementing what we had recently come to regard as customary Republican financial policies of a balanced budget and individual initiative and sound money. Nothing says these changes are permanent. My hunch is you think of this as a detour rather than a change. And it's a detour brought on by panic over the virus and the need to close down the country and therefore the need to have sort of a relief act just to get through the initial closing. Then the question becomes, what would the right policies be coming out of this after we're done with the virus, which I think will happen by June or July? And the goal would be, I think, to get back to a Trump position of recognizing that, in fact, you want entrepreneurs and free markets and risk-taking to reappear, and you want to get the government bureaucracies out of the way. I would add to that, Newt, that the rate of interest ought to be among those things that are liberated from government control. And this is a worm of trouble that has got into the innards of our finances. You know, all of us who deal in finance are living in a kind of a hall of mirrors. You can't be sure of true values because they are based upon false interest rates. Listen, I want to thank you. This has been very helpful. I think your book is a remarkable book. If we want a V-shaped economic environment. We have to follow the principles at work. And if we don't, we should expect to repeat the Bush-Obama long, slow, painful recovery. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Great to spend time with you. When we come back, I'll be joined by well-known economist, Dr. Arthur Laffer. And stay tuned. At the end of this episode, I'll give you an audio sneak peek of my new novel, Shakedown. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This 
is uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies and full tv series you'll easily find something to watch right away and the best part it's all free love music get lost in the 90s with iheart 90s dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iheart radio music channels no logins no signups no accounts no hassle so what are you waiting for start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and google play stores today all you can stream with zumo play Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Dr. Arthur Laffer is the president of Laffer Associates and a longtime economic advisor to presidential administrations since the early 1970s. I'm pleased to welcome him as my guest. The next big crisis is going to be once we begin to get the virus under control, people are going to realize we have a real rebuilding job to do. And I don't know of anybody who has contributed more to a basic understanding of the role of taxes in economic growth. It was your development of the Laffer curve, and at least in historic memory, you're sitting down, I think, with Jack Kemp and and drawing it on a napkin and showing him how it works. You're a uniquely famous economist. How did you come up with developing the Laffer curve, and what were the insights that led you to that? I was in the Nixon White House when I came back to the University of Chicago. I'm fairly mathematical. All my articles are sort of mathematical, and there are tax rates, and tax rates affect incentives. When you tax a product, you raise the cost to the buyer of that product, and you lower the price that the supplier receives. A tax drives a wedge between the price paid and the price received for a product, and as such, a tax will always reduce the quantity of a product. And when I was doing the math in the classes, I tried to give anecdotes to explain it in intuitive terms. I have all these sort of stories and analogies and examples, and one of which was the Laffer curve, which I said that when you raise taxes, two things happen. Number one, you do collect more revenue per dollar of tax base. That, that's true. But when you raise taxes, you also reduce the volume of the product. And these two effects always work in the opposite direction. And sometimes when you raise tax rates, you collect more revenues because the loss in the tax base is less proportionately than the increase in the tax. And sometimes you actually lose revenues because the 
increase in the revenues per dollar of tax base are less than the reduction in the tax base itself. And if you do this relationship at zero taxes, obviously you're not going to collect any tax revenues. And also at 100% tax rates, you because there's no incentive for anyone to produce anything, you're also going to collect no tax revenues. And if you start dropping the rate from 100% on down, you'll start collecting more revenues. If you start raising it from 0% on up, and it's a nice shape curve if all the demand and supply factors are continuous and everything. And you get this lovely little curve, which is a great little pedagogic device that you can explain to a congressman or a senator in about 30 seconds, and they can use it for months. And in theory, there's an optimal point on the Laffer curve where you actually get the maximum economic growth and the maximum revenue. And when you go above that point, you start losing both economic growth and revenue. What's the ideal tax rate that that optimizes both the economy and the government? Whenever you raise tax rates throughout the whole range, you reduce growth. There is a point there that you get maximal revenues, but that is not the optimal tax rate. Your tax rate should be a lot lower than that. I mean, all taxes are bad news, but some are worse than others. What you want to do is you want to collect your taxes in the least damaging fashion. All right, so you do the least damage for the total amount of tax revenues you collect. On the spending side, obviously you want to spend the money in the most beneficial fashion possible. All right, that's what you want to do on spending and least damaging on taxes. And then what you want to do is when the damage done by the last dollar of taxes collected is a little bit less than the benefit done by the last dollar spent, you stop already. That's the optimal level for government. Any government smaller than that should be increased, and any government larger than that should be declined. Like everything else in society, there's an optimal balance of where government should be, and it has to do with what the value of the spending is, what the tax rate effects on growth are, and that's where it comes out, where the balance is between the damage done by the last dollar taxes collected is a little bit less than the benefit done by the last dollar of money spent by the government. Next, why some aspects of the CARE stimulus package may harm our economic recovery. And at the end of this episode, I'll give you an audio sneak peek of Chapter 1 of my new novel, Shakedown, available now at Gingrich360.com slash Shakedown. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. As you look at the sheer volume of cash that's being poured into the system, what I'm really concerned about is once we get past defeating the virus, what do we do to optimize getting back to real economic growth? I've been very struck with Grant's book on the depression of 1920-21 and the degree to which it was a V-shaped depression in which things went straight down pretty frighteningly, turned the corner, went straight back up. And in a sense, it seems to me that Trump and the country need that kind of a response where we've slammed on the brakes, we've stopped so we can beat this virus. But sometime this summer, we got to restart the machine. And, and what would you see is what are the things you'd recommend for Americans to get back to work and the economy to get back to work? When sure. we went into this uh, pandemic with the coronavirus, we had probably as good an economy as we've ever had. This president had the longest prosperity period ever. The tax bill was wonderful. And then the coronavirus hit. And unfortunately, this administration and Congress, both Senate and House, have decided to do the CARES Act, which pay people not to work, give free money to people. And that bill and the $2.2 trillion included in that bill has done enormous damage to the economy. So once the pandemic is gone, Newt, the economy will not come back to where it was. This has demonstrably damaged the economy for a long time to come. Now, what can you do to offset it? I'm telling you the answer is not an infrastructure bill for another $2 trillion. It's not. What you need to do is get an efficient tax code and reduce government spending. What you want is a low-rate, broad-based flat tax and get rid of all federal taxes. And if two flat-rate taxes, one on business net sales, it's a value-added tax with no exemptions, no exemptions, no exclusions. And what you want is a low-rate, broad-based income tax, again, with no deductions, no exemptions, no exclusions. 
and you want to have those two taxes collecting virtually all of your revenues with nothing else. Are you suggesting that sometime this summer, the president should try to move that kind of dramatic tax reform? Yes. The policies that were in existence before the pandemic occurred were leading to the most prosperous economy ever. They have now changed all the economics, so it won't come back to where it was because the policies in place are not the same as the ones that were in place before the pandemic started. I've been through these crises all my life. I was in the Nixon White House in 1970, 71, 72. As George Shultz's right-hand person, I was the highest ranking economist in the White House at that time. And we did the Camp David thing, which did incountable damage to the U.S. economy. Then I was in the White House also when the Watergate occurred. The administration in total panic made very bad decisions at that time. Whenever governments make decisions when they're either panicked or drunk, the consequences are rarely attractive. And Nixon was a classic case of panic decisions that really hurt the economy and the country a lot. And then you look at Jerry Ford's whip inflation now, which was another panicked response by President Ford, which did huge damage. In fact, it was with Dick Cheney, my classmate at Yale, and uh, Don Rumsfeld, who I did the curve for on the napkin. If you remember, we did it in the Washington Hotel, all around Ford's problems. Jimmy Carter, he did all of the National Energy Plan, was in a panicked response to a crisis of embargo. You look at the panic decisions he made on trying to free the hostages in Tehran, both of which were tragic failures. And then you got Ronald Reagan. He had two crises, which I was very personally involved with on the inside. The first one was because our tax bill in 1981 phased in tax cuts, we created a very deep recession, the worst since the Great Depression because everyone knew that tax rates in 1983 were going to be a lot lower. So they postponed their income till 1983. And 81, 82 was a very bad year. Unemployment went up as high as 10%. And everyone wanted President Reagan to get rid of the third year of the tax cut. What I call the four anti-Reagans, Baker, Darman, Bush, and Dole tried to do it. I mean, there were very few of us on the side who wanted to keep the tax cut in. At that time, of course, as you know, Reagan said, I wasn't elected to raise your taxes. He kept it in. From January 1st, 1983 through June of 1984, U.S. real GDP grew by 12% newt. That's at an 8% per annum compound rate. Most wonderful recovery ever. That's your V-shape. Then we had the crisis in 1987. I remember being with him then. And everyone wanted him to do all sorts of crazy stuff. They wanted to have done, and the president said, I mean, it was humorous. I don't know if he was meaning it to be humorous. He said, don't just stand there, undo something. And, of course, the crisis just disappeared. We have had many financial crises over time, and every time the government steps in and tries to solve it, they make it worse. And so this case is exactly the same. They are clearly in a panic mode and making very big mistakes. So now come out of that. We have added $2.2 trillion in spending. With the CARES Act, none of it pro-growth, none of it pro-growth, Newt. We're going to add an infrastructure bill. That's the fourth bill there, which is another $2 trillion. We have a trillion of deficit as it is, and the GDP is going to go down. If you take that $5 trillion of additional spending in there over a GDP, which maybe is $20 trillion, that's 25% of GDP in additional debt from 82% to 107% as debt share of GDP, 
This puts us in the league with Italy and Japan. We have a real serious problem going forward. And that serious problem is not just going to cure itself because coronavirus is gone. Now we've got an economic problem on top of the medical problem. And that's why we need to have a radical change in our tax codes and our spending policies to prepare for that long-term economic growth. Otherwise, the U.S. economy is going to falter for a long period of time. I don't mean to be negative, but this is a time when we now need clear thinking. I think it's very important that those of us who are committed to real economic growth speak out over the next 60 days and try to establish a baseline, which much like Reagan, I think that Trump's instincts will be to be in favor of it. He does understand it. And he does understand it intuitively. The trouble is, like so many presidents, he's surrounded by a group of people who are trying to push their agendas. The one we suggested was a waiver of the payroll tax till the end of the year, which would have increased the returns to keeping and retaining employees by 7.64%, which would have done a great job of bouncing the economy back. But that's not what they chose to do. And it has done immense damage to the economy. We're going to get to a point, I think, where 30 to 60 days from now, it'll be obvious that this is not going to be adequate. And at that point, would you, for example, propose the same tax holiday for the payroll tax, except extended into the first six months of next year? Sure. I mean, look, there are two things. You have government spending and taxes. Government spending is taxation. I mean, if you can imagine a two-person economy, Farmer A and Farmer B, if Farmer B gets unemployment benefits, who do you think pays for them? It's Farmer A. Government doesn't create resources new. Government redistributes resources. And all of this spending is taking resources away from those who produced it and giving it to those who don't produce it, who consume it. And that's a tax. This is Milton Friedman's line always. The government spending is taxation. What you want to make sure you don't do, don't pay people not to work and tax people if they do work. That's a guarantee for high unemployment and low productivity and low growth. We've already put in the plan to pay people who don't work. That's done. That two point trillion is passed. It's done. It's called the CARES Act. Now what we need to do is if we want to try to reverse it is try to reduce taxes on those who do work. And that's what I would suggest. And the payroll tax has a couple of really lovely traits. It's very broad based. So everyone gets the tax. It's not just a few like capital gains taxes or other things like that. It has a great deal of incentive effect for it. And it works for both small businesses as well as large businesses and small producers, low income producers and high income producers. It has a scoring of about in the next seven months, it would score about minus 750 billion, something like that. And that's just the static score. If you put that in, that would give us the best chance to come back quickly, I can think of. Now, then we want to go to the full reform of this thing, but there's no way of wishing back the CARES Act. It's done. And that's going right. to do a lot of damage. To have a positive next step, which is why I like the idea yes. of offsetting the FICA tax, because I think those of us who want growth, the pressure to do something else is going to come up. And if, if we're just no, if we just scream no, that won't get us anywhere. But, but as true. you just said, 
if they make permanent a lot of the regulatory reforms that they've now put in as an emergency, and they combine that with the right kind of tax cuts, you do create an environment where you could imagine the economy would, in fact, come roaring back pretty rapidly. Well, it would come partially back, Newt. It's never going to come back to where it was. It's just not. It's not going to come back quickly. It'll come back partway. But no one should be deluded into thinking that this CARES Act won't hurt growth for a long time, just the way Obama's stimulus package in 2009 hurt the economy. W's stimulus package in 2008 hurt the economy. That's why we had the longest, worst recovery in U.S. history. Now, it did recover. But instead of recovering in one year, like Reagan's did, it took eight years or nine years because of their policies. But if you stipulate that you are not going to be able to undo the CARES Act, that it's a fact. Yes. Then is there anything in addition to the FICA tax holiday which would give us the extra excitement and the extra energy in the entrepreneurial sector? to begin to get closer to a Reagan-like recovery than an Obama-like recovery? I mean, there are a lot of little things that can be done, like the Transparency Act, which I was very involved with the president on as well. There are a lot of other deregulations, which he's been spectacular on. Freer trade is also very important in this. But of major macro policies, I can't think of anything that would have a stimulative effect that would allow the government to do something to try to offset the damage already done by the CARES Act. And that would be waiving the payroll tax for as far as the eye can see to bring people back. You want to make it have a terminal date, Nuke, because if people realize that the payroll tax is going to come back at some time, they will try to push as much production as they possibly can into the economy during that period when the payroll tax is low. So it'll really jack up the quickness of the growth rate. And that will work. And that will work very nicely. There are two things they can do. They can increase spending, which would be the wrong thing. What they should do is what we did in World War I. In World War II, what we did is we cut non-defense spending in the U.S. by huge amounts to be able to afford the war, which was a very positive policy to get stimulation. You know, we pay a lot of people not to work. And I'm not saying they don't deserve it. But, you know, there's no compassion in giving away other people's money, Newt. And that's not a compassion. What we need to do is cut government spending dramatically and cutting the payroll tax, the way I suggested, would bring that economy back maybe to the levels we were before the coronavirus. But you'd have to have a profound reduction in government to do that. Yes. Look at the size of it. Look what those people put inside the bill just in the Christmas tree stuff. I mean, it's ridiculous what they do. My personal favorite is $25 million for the Kennedy Center which promptly laid off the National Symphony Orchestra. (laughs) No, I assume all the administrators were doing fine, but the actual artists were not. The monies paid to people who were laid off by paying them more than they got when they worked gave these people the window to fire lots of people. Far from even creating jobs, it didn't create them. It cost huge amounts of jobs because these guys could get rid of their workers. They could furlough them. And the workers would get more pay not working than they would working. And that's exactly what's happening. And as you say, the Kennedy Center did exactly that. It took its money, $25 million, and then it fired everyone. (laughs) And that's what a lot of businesses are doing. These are unintended consequences. There is no time in life 
where free markets are more important for the health of the economy than during a crisis. A crisis is when we need free markets the most, and that's when government always destroys free markets the most. And now we're living within another one. I think the question now is the really deep immediate panic will start to fade, I think, in May and June. And at that point, you'll be able to have a rational conversation about where do we go from here. If you go to the flat tax, you can have a tax amnesty, which will raise enormous amounts of revenue to run down that debt. You can sell all the gold and silver in Fort Knox, which was confiscated by Roosevelt in 1933. There are all sorts of things that can be done to do that. But now they have to be really radical and have to be done with green eye shades, a clear vision, and do it calmly. You know, when all around you are panicked, put your hands over your ears, shut your eyes and scream, I'm not listening because... Tomorrow, they won't be panicked. And we need to do it in a cool, collected, calm way. Well, and I think you can make the case that we now have a double whammy between the damage done by the virus and the damage done by big government. And so we have to have a program bold enough that we get back to real growth. For a long time, you've been advising how to grow the economy. Hopefully, we'll be able to build a couple of proposals that are big enough and exciting enough that it will move us back to beginning to recover from where we are now. So I think this conversation is a real part of that, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Newt. Thank you to my guests, James Grant and Dr. Arthur Laffer. You can read more about the plan for U.S. economic recovery on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers, and our producer is Garnsey Sloan. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Fennell. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. Please email me with your comments at newt at newtsworld.com. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. On the next episode of Newt's World, what can we learn from the countries who are already on the road to recovery, both from the virus and with their economies? We'll discuss the lessons from Japan, South Korea, Singapore, Hong Kong, and Taiwan. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. Thanks for listening to Newt's World. And now, a special sneak peek of my new novel, Shakedown. Here is chapter one. The old man bent down, tried, but couldn't slip the envelope under his neighbor's door. Checked the empty hallway, turned and began walking toward the floor's elevator while pulling a pistol from under his jacket. Pressed the call button and took a deep breath to calm his nerves. Ding. He tightened his index finger on the handgun's trigger, anticipating the opening doors. Sucked in another calming breath. No one was inside. Tucked his handgun between his belt and watermelon belly. Stepped inside. The building's lobby was empty. The security guard had gone home at 10 p.m. The condo board didn't believe it necessary to have him stay longer. Their Roslyn, Virginia neighborhood was relatively crime-free. The man walked to a wall of mailboxes directly across from the elevator, ran a finger along the tenant's mailboxes, 
stopping at the second box in the third column, his neighbor's. He inserted the envelope into it. From his jacket, he drew a second envelope, which he dropped in the outgoing mail. Behind him, the sound of laughter. A couple entering the building through its double glass doors. The man at the mailboxes noticed that the woman was younger, giggling, holding her male companion's arm. Her loud chatter and wobbly walk suggested she was drunk. A Saturday night date, perhaps a one-night stand. The condo building was across the Potomac River from the nation's capital, an inexpensive Uber ride from popular Georgetown pickup bars. The approaching couple appeared harmless. Still, the man returned to the elevator and pushed the call button, hoping to board and depart before they reached him. The couple quickened their pace. The old man reached inside his jacket, resting his hand on his pistol. He noticed that she was wearing a gray wool stocking cap and scarf. He wore a red Washington Nationals baseball cap, and the collar of his dark blue coat was turned up. Difficult to see faces. The elevator doors opened. The woman straightened, lunged forward, grabbed the old man's left arm. At the same moment, her male accomplice slipped in front of him, a blade before the old man could draw his handgun, directly into his heart. One thrust, one twist. No time to cry out. Who would hear? The woman steadied him, pushed the man's body forward. He hit the elevator floor hard, face first, its doors shut. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.